0: stars are out. Everyone, turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here. Coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we bring you two popular stories from American authors as adapted for audiences during the golden age of radio. Many of the stories we feature here on the Twilight Beacon are original scripts, made especially for the theater of the mind that radio programs brought to life in the middle of the 20th century. However, it was also common for these radio programs to adapt both obscure and well-known works of literature. Classic authors like Edgar Allan Poe, and more contemporary ones like Ray Bradbury, were used by more than one radio show as a recurring source of their scripts. Tonight's first story is The Open Boat by Stephen Crane, as aired on Escape July 19th, 1953. Escape frequently told stories of human survival against the odds, and The Open Boat was an already popular short story of this type, perfect for the program. Stephen Crane was an American naturalist author of the late 1800s. He was a very prolific writer, producing poetry, short stories, and novels, and he was a working journalist. Even though he died at the age of 28, he left a big impression on American literature in his short life, and his Civil War novel, The Red Badge of Courage, is an essential work of American fiction. The Open Boat is a story based on Crane's real-life experience. Traveling to Cuba as a war correspondent, his vessel sank off the coast of Florida. He was adrift in a lifeboat for 30 hours along with other survivors, and The Open Boat is an accurate telling of that ordeal, with only the characters and locations fictionalized. And now, The Open Boat, as heard on Escape in July of 1953.
1: Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are in an open boat with three desperate men, 200 yards from land and safety. But while you scream frantically for someone to rescue you, you realize that from the mountainous breakers between you and safety, there is no escape. Listen now, as transcribed Escape brings you Stephen Crane's unusual story The Open Boat. 1897 a tale intended to be after the fact being the experience of four men from the sunk steamer Commodore they were a captain an oiler a cook and a correspondent and many a man ought to have a bathtub larger than the boat which they rode upon the sea None of them knew the color of the sky. Their eyes were fastened upon the waves that swept toward them. The horizon narrowed and widened, dipped and rose, and at all times it was jagged with waves that seemed to thrust up in points like rocks. A singular disadvantage of the sea lies in the fact that after successfully surmounting one wave, you discover there's another behind it just as important just as anxious to swamp a boat.
2: Keep her a little more south, Billy. A little more south, sir. There's
3: a house of refuge just north of the Mosquito Wind Light. As soon as they see us, they'll come off their boat and pick us up. Soon as who sees us, Cook? Crew. Houses of refuge don't have crews. Only places where clothes and food is stored for the benefit of shipwrecked people. They don't carry crews. Oh, yes, they do. No, they don't. We're not there yet. The oil is right. We're not there yet. Good thing it's an onshore wind. If not, where will we be? <laughs> now, that's right. Do you think we've got much of
2: a show now, boys? I don't know, Captain. Captain. Oh, well, we'll get ashore, all right. Yes. If this wind holds.
3: If we don't, we're down on the surf.
1: Sometimes the gulls would sit on the sea comfortably in groups... Its wrath was no more to them than it was to a convoy of prairie chickens a thousand miles inland. Often they came close, and at these times they were uncanny and sinister in their unblinking scrutiny.
4: Get away! Go on! Get! Get! Get away! Get!
1: Ooh! Ugly,
2: filthy things!
1: The captain was hurt and couldn't do anything. The cook bailed. The oiler and the correspondent sat together in the same seat and rowed. And then the oiler took both oars. And then the correspondent took both oars. The correspondent, the oiler. Will you spell me?
3: Yeah, sure.
1: But it was easier to steal eggs from under a hen than it was to change seats in the dinghy. The man in the stern slid his hand along the thwart and moved with care. The man in the rowing seat slid his hand along the other thwart. As the two sidled past each other, the cook and the captain kept watchful eyes on the coming wave.
2: Look out! Now, steady there!
1: Good boy, Billy.
2: I think I see the lighthouse at Mosquito Inlet. Yeah? Which way? Wait, wait. I think I see it too. Billy? Uh,
3: might be. I don't see anything. Look again. It's exactly in that direction. Boy, boy, now I see it. It's real small, like the head of a pin.
2: I think we'll make it, Captain. If this wind holds and the boat don't swamp, we can't do much else. Fail here, Cook. All right,
5: Captain, sir. All right.
1: The brown mats of seaweed that appeared from time to time informed the men and the boat that they were making progress slowly toward land. And slowly, the lighthouse grew larger. An upright shadow on the sky. And then, land appeared. Thinner than Paper. wish we had a sail we might
2: try my overcoat on the end of an oar give you two boys a chance to rest I'll
3: try anything what do you say?
1: let's try it here's my coat right sir, blow them both down toward me I'll tie it on here,
4: yeah.
1: here you go sir? So rope
3: there Billy you can lash it
1: better yeah. sleeves will do better I think you'll have to hold one oar you the other. Uh,
3: okay. Ready?
2: All ready. Heist All right. All
3: right. Here we go. Easy. Hey, watch it. Uh, hold on. Oh, it's steady
5: it's now. It's steady up. Hey. Better hey. Hey. it.
2: Better lower her. What? Aren't we making headway, Billy? She'll
3: swap this way. She's too far off balance. Well, oh, let's, on, take let's take get her down. It down. down. Come
5: on, down. Take her down. down. Right. Hey. Hey.
1: Kick her down. That's it. That's, That's got her uh,
3: Oh. We'll, we'll just have to row. <laughs> How in the name of all the same could there be people who think it's fun to row a boat? <laughs> you put things right smart. Yeah. I guess it would be so bad if we'd eaten something before. Yeah. If we got ourselves in a pinker condition before we got ourselves shipwrecked, that'd be better, too. Would be. <laughs> There'd be less people drowning at sea. I'll
1: spell you. Uh,
3: we can both do it. Take the right oar, Billy. All right. Let's go.
1: Slowly and beautifully the land loomed out of the sea. And the wind came again. And then went. And then came again, veering from northeast to southeast.
2: Boy, uh, listen.
1: And a new sound struck the ears of the men in the boat. The sweet, low thunder of the surf on the shore.
5: We must be about opposite New Smyra. Yes. I believe they abandoned that life-saving station there about a year ago.
1: Did they?
2: Take her easy now, boys. Don't spend yourselves. If we have to run a surf, you'll need all your strength, because we'll sure have to swim for it. Take your time. Yeah. Yes, Captain. That's the house of refuge, sure. They'll see us before long and
1: come out after us.
2: The keeper ought to be able to make us out now if he's looking for his glass. He'll notify the life-saving people.
1: None of these other boats could have gotten ashore to give word of the wreck. Else the lifeboat would be out
3: hunting us. Yeah, that's that's right, Billy. That's right. I don't think
2: it'd be wise to try for the lighthouse now. Swing ahead a little more north, Billy. A little more north, sir. Steady now there, Billy, my boy. Steady she is, Captain. In and off, perhaps... Maybe two. We'll be ashore. Dry. fit. Want a drink to that, Captain?
0: Yes. i still got the water jug.
2: Well, let's have it around. All hands.
3: Okay. All right, sir. You go ahead. You first, sir. Thank you. Uh. All right, cook. Thank you. Uh. Billy? Tastes good, fresh water. Here you go. Thanks. Oh. Oh. Well, since we're celebrating, I got a surprise. (laughs) Look. Cigars. Aren't they wet? Yeah, some of them are. Some of them are dry. I don't know how. Here. I got dry matches. There Uh, you are.
4: Thanks. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Oh well, no.
3: This is
2: more like it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, in another hour. Try and fed. Cook, there don't seem to be any signs of life about your house of refuge.
3: No. It's funny they don't see us. We have to go through that surf. We'll swamp for sure.
2: Funny they don't see us. I suppose we'll have to make a try for ourselves. If we stay out here too long, we will none of us have strength left to swim after the boat swamps. Yeah. Yeah. Head us straight in then, Billy. Aye, sir. Straight in. If we don't all get ashore... I suppose you fellas know where to send news of my finish.
3: Yes, sir. If I don't get ashore... ...you boys can tell my old lady what happened.
1: My family lives in New Brunswick. Just ask for them at the Hampton Inn.
3: If I don't get ashore... (laughs) If I don't get ashore... ...it won't matter to anyone but me. Ready?
2: Aye, sir. It's getting rougher.
3: Shore's still pretty far away. Sir...
1: We can't go in any closer. What? Boys, she won't live three minutes more if we keep her headed toward shore. We'll far out to swim.
6: Will
1: I I take her out to sea again, Captain?
2: Yes, Billy, go ahead. Uh, Take her out to sea again.
1: And the boat with the four men in it, the captain, the oiler, the cook, and the correspondent, turned back away from the land and bumped over the furrowed sea to deeper water. When it occurs to a man that nature does not regard him as important... ...and that he feels she should maim the universe by disposing of him... ...he at first wishes to throw bricks at the temple. And he hates very much the fact that there are no bricks... ...and no temples. And he finds that nature is serene among the struggles of the individual. She is not cruel... ...nor beneficent, nor wise... No treacherous. She is simply indifferent.
3: Well, anyhow, they must have seen us from shore by now. You all coming to the southeast, sir. I see it, Philly.
2: Keep her the way she is. Aye, sir. What do you think of those life-saving people? Ain't they
3: peaches? Yeah. Funny they haven't seen us. You'd think we're out here for sport. Maybe they think we're fishing, or maybe they think we're stupid fools. Sorry. There, sir. St. Augustine? Those
2: darts? No, no, I don't think so. Too near Mosquito Inlet.
3: Did you ever like to road, Willie? No. Did you? Always oh, loved it. <coughs> loved it. Look. There's a man on shore. Huh? Where? There. See him? See him? Yeah,
2: sure. He's walking along. And he sees us, he's waving. Uh, yeah, uh, He
4: uh, does uh, see us, he does.
2: Uh, right. oh, now we're all right. There'll be a boat out here for us in half an hour.
3: He's going on. He's running. He's going up to the house there. Standing still again. He's looking, I think. There he goes again toward the house. Come
2: on, come on. He hey. stopped again. Is he, is he waving at us, sir? No, not now. He was though. Look,
3: there's another man. Look at him go, would you? He's on a bicycle, a bicycle on the beach. They're both waving at us.
2: There comes something else up the beach.
3: Is it,
2: is it a lifeboat, sir? I think so. No. No. No, it's not a lifeboat. Oh. It's nothing but a bus. One of those big hotel buses. Boy, Thunder, you're right. What do you suppose they're doing with a bus? Why don't they get a lifeboat? Hey, hey. Maybe they're going around collecting the lifeboat crew. That's it. Huh? Yeah. Now keep around into the wind, Billy. Aye, sir. Look. There's a fellow waving a little black flag at us. He's standing on the steps of the bus. And there comes two other fellows. Now they're all talking together. But well, look at that fellow with the flag. He sees us all right. He knows what he's about. Hey! Come get us! Come! Ain't a flag, is it? Oh, it's his coat. Why, certainly that's his coat. So it is. It's
3: his coat. But would you look at him swing it? There isn't any life-saving station there. That's just a winter resort hotel. Some of the customers came to see us frown. What's that idiot with the coat mean? What's he signaling anyhow?
1: Sure. It looks as if he were trying to tell us to, to go north. Must be a life-saving
2: station up there. No, no. Hmm. He thinks we're fishing, Billy, just giving
3: us a wave. That's all we need now, a cheery little wave to send us on our way to eternity. He don't mean anything. He's just playing. If he just signals to try the surf or or go to sea or or wait or go north or go south or go to... There'd be some reason in it, but, but look at him! Why doesn't he stop waving that coat long enough to... Tell him we're out here, dying. Why doesn't he? Oh, it's all right now. They'll have a
2: boat out here in less than no time, now that they've seen us. Yeah. Night coming on, sir. Yeah. Oh, now, now, boys. We'll never have to stay here all night. Now, don't you worry. They've seen us now, and it won't be long before they just come chasing right out after us, eh? Oh, come on, boys. Cheer up now.
1: the shore grew dusky. The man waving the coat blended gradually into this gloom and it swallowed in the same manner the bus and the group of people. A night on the sea in an open boat is a long night.
4: I'd like to get
3: my hands on that bird who waved the coat. I'd just like to live long enough to do that. Why? What did he do? Uh, nothing. He just seemed too blasted cheerful.
2: Keep her head up. Keep her head up.
1: Keep her head up, sir. The obligation of the man at the oars was to keep the boat headed so that the tilt of the rollers wouldn't capsize her. The black waves were silent and hard to be seen in the darkness. And on the northern horizon, a light appeared. A small, bluish gleam on the edge of the world.
3: Captain... Are you awake? I shall I keep her making for that light north? I keep it about two points off
2: the
1: port bow. Aye. Ah. 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 A gleaming trail of phosphorescence, like a blue flame, was furrowed on the black waters. It might have been made by a monstrous knife. The speed and power of the thing was greatly to be admired. It cut the water like a gigantic and keen projectile, never leaving the vicinity of the boat. Ahead or astern, or on one side or another, at intervals long and short, flew the long sparkling streak.
2: Life-saving people take the time. Mm.
3: Did you see the shark playing around? Yes, I saw him. Uh, He was a big fellow, all right. Mm. I didn't know you were awake, Captain.
2: Makes no difference.
3: He's gone now. Uh, Billy. Huh? What? Billy. What do you spell me, Billy? Why, sure. Cook. Uh, 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 uh.
5: Yes, Captain
2: to take her farther out to sea so there's no danger from the surf. You take that oar to the stern there and keep her facing the sea. Right, sir. Haul out if you hear that surf just once here. I will, sir. It'll give you boys a chance to curl down for a while and get in shape again. Thanks,
1: sir. And the correspondent and the oiler lay down in the bottom of the boat trembling with the cold and the damp and chattered themselves to sleep, the dead sleep. Spray occasionally bumped over the side and gave them a fresh soaking, but it had no power to break their repose. And neither knew that they bequeathed to the cook, now the only man awake on an ocean, the company of another shark.
3: Huh? Uh, huh? Boys. boys, boys. Day,
2: huh? How does oh, it look? Drifted uh, uh, in pretty close. Uh, I guess one of you better take her out to sea again. <sighs> huh? All right, Captain. Oh no, I'll, I'll do it, Billy.
3: Take it easy. We've been working hard enough. Easy now. Sorry. Right. Well, here we are. Yeah. I ever get ashore anybody shows me even a photograph of Lenore, I'm going to break
2: you. Nothing on the beach.
3: No man, no bicycle,
2: no bus, not even a dog. Guess I'd even like to see that fellow with the coat again.
3: Guess we all would. Well, at least the light tower's still in sight. That I'd rather not see. Why is that? Well, for one thing... I don't think anyone ever climbs up there. If they did, we'd have help.
2: If no help is coming, Uh, we might better try to run through the surf. When, sir? Right away, Billy. Uh, If we stay out here much longer, we'll be uh, too weak to do anything for ourselves at all pretty soon. Captain's right. Anything's better than this. Should I... I head her into the beach, Uh, sir? Head her into the beach, Billy. Uh,
3: Into the beach, sir.
2: Now, boys, hear this. She's going to swamp shore. All we can do is work her in as far as possible. And then when she swamps, pile out and scramble for the beach. Yes, sir. All right, all right. Captain. You're hurt. I can swim it all right, Billy, if we get in close enough. Keep cool now, boys. And don't jump until she swamps shore. I, sir. Captain, I think I better bring her about, keep her head onto the sea, and back her in. All right, Billy. Back her in. Let's go. I don't
3: oh, think yeah. we'll get in very close, Captain.
2: We'll, we'll try. And remember to get oh. well clear of the boat when you jump.
3: Oh. Bail
2: her! Bail her out! All right, Captain! Captain, the next one will do us for sure, sir. Here she comes. Mind you jump clear of the boat! Oh, sir.
1: The sea pummeled them and spewed them about. It plunged them downward and threw them skyward. And all wondered, am I going to drown? Am I going to drown with the sand and the trees over there? Am I going to drown? And a man came running along the shore. He was in the water in a matter of seconds, pulling the cook ashore first, then returning to help the captain, <laughs> then the correspondent.
4: Here you go
3: now. Here, grab hold of my arm. Grab I'm hold my of it take it. Done for. No, you're not. Come on now.
5: Come on! Oh, thanks.
3: It's all right now.
0: It's
3: all right. No. I thought it was all over. Look!
1: In the shadow's face downward lay the oiler. His forehead touched sand that was periodically between each wave clear of the sea. Mm. seemed that instantly the beach was populated with men and flasks blankets and clothes and women with coffee pots but while the captain and the cook and the correspondent took all of these remedies a still and dripping shape was carried slowly up the beach and the land's welcome for Billy the oiler could only be the hospitality of a grave Transcribed under the direction of Anthony Ellis Escape has brought you The Open Boat by Stephen Crane adapted by E. Jack Newman. In order of their appearance you've heard William Conrad as the narrator, Tom Tully the correspondent, Edgar Berrier the captain, Bob Sweeney the cook, Dave Young the oiler and Jack Carroll the man. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stephen. <laughs>
0: You just listened to The Open Boat, from Escape, as originally aired on July 19th, 1953. Our next story is The Dunwich Horror, by H.P. Lovecraft, as aired on Suspense on November 1st, 1945. Along with Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen King, Lovecraft is among the most identifiable authors in their horror genre. His stories were unique among fiction of the early 20th century with their themes of cosmic horror and monsters powerful enough to threaten the existence of all humanity. His writing developed an interconnected set of themes and paradigms that would come to be known as the Cthulhu Mythos. The Dunwich Horror is considered a core story of the Cthulhu Mythos, and it typifies Lovecraft's style. The mysterious tale begins small in scale. But a rising tension and atmosphere of dread soon reveals much higher stakes, with a surprising climax that offers a dark twist that can only be described as Lovecraftian. And now, the Dunwich Horror, as heard on suspense in November of 1945.
5: The Dunnage Horror, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Come in, Dunnage, Massachusetts. Come in, Dunnage.
6: Uh, Good evening. This is Henry Armitage. I'm speaking to you... Dr. Rice, please close the window. (laughs) I'm speaking to you from my laboratory on the slopes of Sentinel Hill near Dunwich, Massachusetts. Present with me is Dr. Warren Rice, my distinguished colleague from Miskatonic University. Uh, We are now about a 100 yards from the summit of the hill, which is crowned by a huge table-like stone set in the center of a circle of stone pillars, a place of prehistoric worship. A moment ago, you may have heard the dogs of Tunnage Township barking, as we have heard them for three days and three nights. Dr. Rice and I know the horror which their barking portends, but the purpose of this broadcast is to make this unbelievable horror believable to you. I hope for your sakes and ours we are successful tonight. It is the eve of all hallows. Tomorrow will be too late our time tonight is very short so so i'll speak only of those more recent events which believe me may culminate at any moment in a climax too frightful to wholly contemplate i will begin with the birth of wilbur waitley (laughs) night of February the 2nd, 1921. Candlemas. Toward dawn, when Lavinia Waitley, a deformed albino woman about 35 years old, gave birth to her dark, goatish-looking son in the crumbling Waitley farmhouse northeast of the village. No one attended her. No doctor or midwife. No one was with her except her aged, half-insane father, who was known as Wizard Waitley. So, Wilbur came into this world under heaven knows what incantations, what appeals to what power. A week later, Wizard Waitley drove his sleigh into Dunnage Village and reported the event to a group of loungers in Osborne's general store.
4: Uh,
5: hey, I your grandson know. got yellow yeah. hair like the mini wizard? No, takes after to his father more. He's dark. Dark. You never spoke of who his father might be now, did you? Oh, you know his father when the time comes. Oh, Lavinie's read and seed some things the most of you only talk about. Uh, calculate her husband's as good as you can find this side of Aylesbury.
7: Well, we don't be nosy, Wizard.
5: Uh, maybe it warn't a no church that none of you heard of. But you wouldn't ask no better church wedding than Lavinie's. Well, Why, didn't he tell no wedding, Wizard? Hmm. When was that? Not a wedding you'd hear of, Corey. Not a husband you'd hear of, neither. But let me tell you something. Someday you folks will hear a child of Lavinia's calling its father's name on top of Sentinel Hill. prophecy?
6: Or idle boasting by an insane old man? I know I ask a great deal when I ask you to believe that the arrival of an infant into that house of dire poverty and squalor could possibly constitute a horror and a threat to all our known world. Yet it has an earthly history. Perhaps through this history, you will be able to give it credence. Wilbur Waitley's growth was uncanny. But even if he had been an average child, he would have become, in time, an unnatural being, for he was surrounded from the first by the most malign influences. There was his grandfather, Old Waitley, Wizard Waitley, who each Halloween climbed Sentinel Hill to the great circle of stone, and while the hills shook, stood holding a great book open on his arms and shrieked into the wind.
4: Shrieked! Jump Jump off! Jump off!
6: Yag Sothoth. Sotho, that dreadful name, first mentioned in the hideous forbidden book, The Necronomicon. And this wizard Waitley was Wilbur's teacher. <laughs> Villagers began to notice curious things that were going on at the Waitley farmhouse. Soon after Wilbur was born, old Waitley began to remodel the house. The abandoned upper story was restored, and all the windows were tightly boarded up. And then, a wizard began to buy cattle in large numbers, both horses and cows. Yet the livestock on the farm didn't seem to increase. Young Lem Brown was one day curious enough to creep close to the house to count the weightly herd.
5: Dr. Armitage, there weren't more than 12 cows, and them sick. Looked like they had the blight and funny wounds on them, like cuts. I heard something, too, in the top part of Wizard's house. Something like water slapping inside. Only big, big like a sea.
4: (laughs)
6: One other person went to the Waitley farm in the years before I met Wilbur, Dr. Ken Houghton of Aylesbury, who was called by Wilbur himself, who said that his grandfather was dying. Dr. Houghton found the old man in a bedroom on the ground floor and Wilbur with him. While outside the window, a legion of whippoorwill cried loudly and rhythmically, endlessly. Wilbur spoke about the sound. Time with his breathing
7: now. They're ready. Listen, doctor. They know his soul's going out. They're waiting. (laughs) Yes, Wilbur, that's an interesting superstition. Late in the year for them, too. When he goes, if they catch him, they'll keep laughing till break of day. If they don't catch him, they'll quiet down. You mean you believe that... In just a minute. I think he's conscious. Yes, the bird's changed when his breathing changed. Like I say. Willie, Willie,
5: Willie! I'm
7: here. More space, Willie. Remember, more
5: space soon.
7: Yes, I'll build it.
5: You grows... But that grows faster. It'll be ready to serve you soon,
7: Willie. I know. But remember, when it's time, you open up
5: the gates to Yog Sothoth with a long chant, the one on page seven and fifty-one of the book. But mind you, feed it enough. Because if it gets out before you opens to Yog Sothoth, it's all over. It's no use.
7: He's going now. He's dead, We'll Listen. <laughs> <laughs> the birds. They didn't catch him.
6: University to consult a copy of the hideous Necronomicon, which was kept there in its Latin version, as printed in Spain in the 17th century. I tell you, when he came into my office, I was appalled at his appearance. Eight feet tall, shabby. it then. Oh, very well, it, it's kept right here. As you know, there, there are only three copies of this book in existence. That's why we're careful. Here, you can
7: look at it on this table. Wizard said it would be on page 751. What? What is it you're looking for? The formula, the long chant, the one that opens the gate to Yog sothoth
6: I felt a wave of fright as tangible as a draft from the tomb. He seemed, Humpal, like, like the spawn of another dimension, like something only partly of mankind, linked to black gulfs beyond all spheres of force and matter, space and time. And Presently, he raised his head and spoke again. It's here, all
7: right, but I'll have to have a copy. That paragraph there? I don't know. Do you know Latin, Doctor? Yes, certainly. Then read it, Doctor. Let's hear how you make it out. All
6: right, that shouldn't be difficult. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Nor is it to be thought um, that man is the oldest or the last of Earth's masters. The old ones... Where and the old ones shall be not in the the, the the spaces that we know, but but between them, but only Yag sothoth knows the gate. Yag sothoth is the gate to 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 where the old ones broke through. Of old. Their hands are at your throat, yet
7: ye see them not. Dr. Armitage, you see, I reckon I've got to take that book home. There's things in it I've got to try, and you can't hold me up. No, I'm sorry. I tell you, Doctor, I'll have the book sooner or later, no matter what. You see, it that's waiting for me at home won't wait much longer.
6: It was a week later that I was awakened suddenly by the fierce yelping of the great watchdog on the campus, followed by a sound from a wholly different throat, a scream... And I knew instantly that Wilbur had come back for the Necronomicon. I hastened into my clothes and rushed across to the library where a crowd had gathered before the smashed window of my office. Inside, there was a fearful groaning and growling. And and some instinct warned me that what was taking place there was not for, for unfortified eyes to see. I brushed back the crowd, motioning only to Professor Rice to come in with me. When we opened the study door, Professor Rice screamed. No, Doctor Armitage, no, I come, can't. come. Close the door. We can't let them see. <laughs> He's alive, but Lord, what a what a job that dog's done. Torn him to bits. What oh, a horrible sound, that moaning. You suppose we ought to call a doctor? A
8: doctor? A doctor for that? No doctor in the world would know what to do for that. Look, Armitage, it's not human or animal. Where did it come from? Can you tell me? Can you tell me what it is?
6: No, I couldn't tell what Wilbur Waitley was. The thing that lay half-bent on its side in a pool of greenish-yellow stickiness was nine feet tall. And the dog partly human, beyond a doubt, with very man-like hands and head, but, but the torso and lower parts of the body were was fabulous, The chest had the leathery hide of a crocodile or alligator. But below the waistline, the skin was covered with coarse black fur, and from the abdomen, long greenish-gray, Tentacles, right? well, the limbs terminated in in ridgy veined pads that were neither hooves nor claws. And as Dr. Rice and I stood staring at this this presence, the the began to cry in unison outside the study window. And then, and then the thing on the floor roused and mumbled. Oh, God. Oh,
7: God.
8: He in
6: heaven's name? Oh, listen, listen. The will. Listen. He's dead now. Look. Look, Christ.
8: Look what's happening. He's... He's disintegrating. Of
6: course. Ah, too. Fading away. Because he isn't made of... of matter as we know it on Earth. after his father, so there'll be nothing left.
8: His father? What was his father?
6: I daren't think. I thought then that What came into our world with Wilbur Waitley left with him. I forgot what he himself had told me of it, which was waiting in the field house Wizard Waitley had built, where the cattle were driven to disappear. But Wilbur Waitley left a diary, written in a strange alphabet resembling Sanskrit. And I worked off and on for weeks to decipher it. And finally... I read the following passage written by Wilbur when he was no more than eight years old. That
7: upstairs is more ahead of me than I had thought it would be, and is not like to have much earth brain. I can see it a little when I make the sign or blow the powder of Ivangatze at it, and it is like them I see Halloween on the hill. I wonder how I shall look when the earth is cleared and there are no earth beings. Maybe like that upstairs looks which has no body, even fed
6: with all the blood. Toward morning, in a cold sweat of terror, I called Dr. Rice to my house and told him, we have to destroy what's in that farmhouse.
8: We... Why can't we just leave the thing locked up there, the... The house is boarded tight.
6: Yes, but you think boards will hold it? Don't you realize, man, it hasn't been
8: fed? It hasn't had
6: blood since the 18th of September, when Wilbur Waitley came here to die. We left for Dunnage that night, and we've been here on Sentinel Hill ever since working desperately to discover the formula in time. But a week ago tonight, shortly after dawn... Yeah, hello?
5: Dr. Armitage, this is Lem Brown. I, I was just up beyond the glen, doctor, looking for cows I lost last night. Yes, Lem? Well, doctor, something's been there. Smells like thunder, and there's prints in the road. Great round prints, big as barrel heads, like a, a elephant has been along.
6: Any, Anything else, Lem?
5: That's all I see. Uh, except bushes and trees pushed back from the road like like a house was drug along. Uh,
6: did you hear anything?
5: Yes, long toward morning, I heard a sound over toward Waitley's place, a kind of ripping or tearing of wood like a big box was being opened up. Chancey, he heard it, too.
6: Lem, who, who lives nearest the Waitley farm?
5: Wait. That'd be Elmer Fry's place.
6: Oh, he's on this line too, isn't he? Hang on and I'll ring him.
5: Yes, Dr. Armitage, this is Central.
6: I'm trying to get Elmer Fry, Central.
5: Doctor, he must be out somewheres. And his whole family. I was ringing there an hour ago. Earl Sawyer saw Elmer's cows stampeding in Cold Spring Glen.
6: Oh, you didn't get him. Hmm? All right. Uh, But if you hear or see anything more, let me know. I'll be here working all day. Price. Price. Wake up. It's, It's loose. It's out of the house. One family gone already. We have to work. Pray God we find that formula in time. a week of terror and panic here in Dunwich Township. Each night it moves about the countryside, leaving the trees crushed in a 30-foot swathe as though by a moving mountain, leaving its monstrous tracks and a trail of tarry stickiness, leaving crushed and gutted farmhouses and whole herds of cattle drained of blood. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the story to this moment. And tonight is Halloween. Tonight we are here to. Oh, just one moment, please.
8: Uh, Dr. Rice, did you hear something? No, with the window closed, no. Well, we'll throw it open.
6: I thought so. Listen. The sound from a thousand bending trees. A sound like the sea moving across a forest. Yes. yes, it's coming here, of course. All hallows, it comes to Sentinel Hill. Uh, Dr. Rice, I'll try the formula and the powder from the altar stone. I I want you to stay here at the microphone and report what you see.
8: Very well, Dr. Armitage.
6: Oh, wait a minute before I go. To any scientists who may be listening to me, if I fail, there is a possible alternative formula in Falconer's Mystical Formulae of the Middle Ages on page 24. Listen. There are the whippoorwills. I better get out there. Take over,
4: Dr. Wright.
8: Yes. I'll do as well as I can, Armitage. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Armitage is climbing to the top of the hill, to the altar stone. I can see him plainly, for the moon is high and the night clear. Down the hill toward the dark village. I can see the grasses and shrubbery bending down, marking the monster's ascent. It moves quite fast, and I feel a proximity to phases of being utterly forbidden. Now, Dr. Armitage stands now on the altar stone and is holding the powder which, if the books are correct, will make this thing for an instant visible. It is quite close to him now, perhaps 20 yards or less. He lifts his hands. He brings the powder in a white arc. They can see. Oh, no, no!
6: Dr. Rice, come in, Dunnage.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your suspense announcer. Due to
5: conditions. Oh, just a moment, please.
4: One
6: moment, please. Dr. Rice, can you hear me?
8: Yes, I can hear you. Yes, for a moment I was overcome when I saw. Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you can hear now the incantation of Dr. Armitage. Listen. Dr. Armitage is walking back here now. So we know that whatever it was, it is gone. It is dead. We can be thankful indeed. You see, I saw a Dr. Armitage. Yes. Did you? Did you see it, Dr. Rice? I saw it. Lord, yes. What
6: did it what did it look like to you? It looked here.
8: Like something made of squirming ropes, but bigger than a barn and shaped Well, like an egg and dozens of legs, like barrels that half closed when it stepped and nothing solid about it and at least 15 or 20 mouths or trunks opening and closing, but what was it?
6: Oh, a kind of... a kind of force. A kind of force that doesn't belong in our part of space. Did you... did you notice the half face on top? Half face? Like a human face, Very large, but yes, quite quite human. And quite like Wilbur's, like all the Waitleys. Then it was, it was... That's right. It was Wilbur's twin brother. And you saw what three weeks' growth had done. And it was the child of Lavinia's who called its father's name on Sentinel Hill, as Wizard Waitley prophesied. You heard it calling, Yogg-Sotho. Hmm. Now, ladies and gentlemen... This night is over. It is All Saints Day. May heaven bless us all.
8: The Dunnage Horror, with Ronald Coleman as your star of Suspense. This is the Armed Forces Radio
0: Service. That will wrap up this episode of the Twilight Beacon. You heard Stephen Cranes' The Open Boat from the July 19th, 1953 airing of Escape and H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror from the November 1st, 1945 broadcast of Suspense. The Twilight Beacon will return this Wednesday, October 13th with two more terrifying classic radio episodes. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and the schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest
4: program updates.